Welcome to Making Movies is Hard, a podcast about the everyday struggle of being an independent filmmaker. I'm Mark Bissell. And I'm Timothy Plain. Each week we talk about different filmmaking topics and give you our point of view on them, not as experts, but just as two filmmakers trying to figure it out for ourselves. This week we have a different type of guest, which is really exciting. Uh, we have a producer's rep, executive producer, film consultant, author, and all-around film business guru, Ben Yenny on the show. Welcome, Ben. Hey, thanks for having me. Um, was that like an accurate description of what you are? Is that like roughly right? Or, yeah, I don't know, like, how would you describe yourself? To say it short, I say I'm an entrepreneur working in the film and tech space. Okay. And, vague. But very vague. <laughs> so what you said is much more accurate. But, um, so yeah. Nice. Awesome. So Timothy and I met you, uh, I think for the very first time in person, maybe two years ago at a, at a mixer in San Francisco. Um, but I mean, I've, I've known your name for a while cause you do like the, the, all these meetup groups in San Francisco and you're, you're very active in the film community. So I'm sure a lot of people who, you know, do filmmaking or film production of some kind in the Bay area are at least familiar with your name. Um, but yeah, just give us the one minute bio of who you are and yeah, what, what you're doing, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I am a producer's rep. That is my primary business right now. Kind of. I have helped eight films get distribution. Um, and if you look at my IMDb, all of the credits since 2014 are all films that I've helped with distribution. I saw, I facilitated a sale to stars for one of them. Um, others are currently working on a limited theatrical run, um, that should be happening in the fall and also some DVD cable VOD and a bunch of just wider scale, uh, releases for these films. Generally when I come on, it's towards the end of a project, but I just started a, uh, investment group to help more on the front end of the project as well as a, uh, software platform to help manage the project after you've gotten the financing and help you get give you tools to more efficiently manage your project through to completion nice awesome ben what's your background like where did you start what's the origin story because uh, uh, anyone who does this many things at this point in their career started somewhere and then along the way just kind of like branched out and did a bunch of things yeah uh that depends how far you want me to go back but um i suppose as far my- back as you need to <laughs> <laughs> I suppose uh, a good inflection point would be uh, when I moved to San Francisco. Um, before I, I followed a girl out here, and eventually I found I liked the uh, city better than the girl. And <laughs> uh-huh. I was recently out of film school, okay. producer at that point. Where'd you go to film school? Uh, the Colorado Film School. Okay. It's a very good regional film school on lots of top 10 lists. Right after film school, moved to San Francisco, and you're already kind of. Mm-hmm. have your actually, hands in the film business. there was a year before um where i worked in financial services which uh oh, okay. ended up helping later on in ways i didn't expect at the time yeah so i ended up moving out here because i did not like financial services particularly the sales end of it it's good money but i wouldn't recommend it mm-hmm. the first year i was here i went to afm uh for the first time okay that was about seven years ago i have been to every afm since and in the last two i have had booths and at what point did you start tying a bandana around your head and making <laughs> videos <laughs> um that was a year after i'd be i switched from being a producer to a producer's rep 
It was, oh God, you found those videos. Um, but, I saw it last night. It's so funny, like meeting you at the party and you're like, I feel, I remember you being really nicely dressed and handing your business card. And then I saw you like in a video and it's like totally dressed in like gorilla style with the bandana on your head. It's like, this is so funny seeing Ben in this, in this light. Yeah, but that that's, a- yeah, it's cool. It's, it's a good, it's a good, it's a good look for what you're trying to do. So, yeah, um, I, I adopted the moniker, uh, the gorilla rep, uh, when I was at AFM my fourth year. And it was the first time I was identifying as a producer's rep as opposed to a uh, producer. Yeah. And it was the first day I was trying out my pitches and things in the lobby. And then I ended up saying, and somebody sat next to me, a uh, guy who says he's a uh, producer on Bones. And he said, Hey, uh, and then I said, he said, oh, so what do you do? And I said, uh, I, I'm, I'm a gorilla rep. He's like, that's a good name. I could make money with that. And I said, yeah. no, 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 I'm going to do that first. And then I remember, <laughs> um, that's but, funny. Yeah. Before we jump into AFM, because we have some questions about that. I just want to know, did you ever live in LA or have you always been in the Bay Area since you moved here? Since I've moved here, I've always been in the Bay Area, but I commute at least somewhat regularly, sometimes more often than others. Mm-hmm. I really just like the Bay Area a lot more. And since a lot of what I do is independent film finance, at least that's where the direction I'm heading, uh, you need to be where the money is, not necessarily where the distribution is, because you can hold up distribution relationships with a few touch points every year. Mm, yeah, a lot of the money here comes from the tech industry and, and tech people don't necessarily want to invest in films right uh correct there's a pretty big culture divide there and it's almost like one side is speaking spanish and the other is speaking italian (laughs) and there's a lot of disagreements because of that even though there's a lot of core premises that are very very similar all of the nuance is lost and people just end up uh failing to communicate yeah well we'll get to the types of investors that invest in films a little later. Why don't Why don't we get into AFM? Because it seems like if that's kind of where your career got its start, yeah. we, we're we're always curious about AFM because you hear about it all the time as an independent filmmaker, and we're we're like writers and directors. We don't necessarily know what the the value of going to AFM is for us. So, you know, what do you what do you think, or who do you think AFM is good for, and is it good for filmmakers like us that you know have a have a completed script that are looking to get that movie made or is it more for people that um are on the distribution end of things that's a very good question and it is somewhat of a nuanced answer um (laughs) afm is different things for different people uh you'll get more out of afm if you're a producer with a completed project you're going to be not assured of getting a sale and definitely not assured of getting a good sale but you have a strong potential to get a lot of meetings and potentially walk out of there with an offer or two but if you are going at the script stage your goal should not be to necessarily sell anything as much to establish relationships with people who can help you down the line okay um I, a, a really good thing to get if you don't have any strong attachments or a known director would be a uh, LOI. Right. If you want to get a LOI, the strongest way to get a good LOI is through relationships. 
Um, I don't want to advertise this too heavily, but once you've been going a while, um, LOIs become relatively easy to get. You just say, look, this is what we're, we need it for. This is what we're looking to do. And there's generally at least a couple of uh, sales agencies who, once you get to know them, will offer you an LOI because they know you'll deliver on what you're trying to deliver. Or at least if you don't deliver, it won't be for lack of trying. Is so, the letter of intent kind of the same as a pre-sale? No, they're very different documents. A letter of intent is a document that says, yeah, when this is done, we'll take a look at it and we'll consider distributing it. Okay. That's that. Mm. A pre-sale is a, yes, once this is done, we will give you a check for X amount. Right. So just to be clear, though, you're saying LOIs from distributors, not LOIs from like actors or, or anyone else. That's what we're talking about specifically? Specifically in that instance, yes, that is true. However, LOIs in general are fairly escapable documents. Um, (laughs) so the it's not until you actually get a full letter of attachment for talent that it's really getting serious Mm -hmm. but all of these documents are powerful and help a lot but Mm -hmm. uh you've got you've got to think of it as a series of escalating documents Mm -hmm. if you don't have anything financed all you want is an loi if you can get the talent to sign an loi then you can uh move to the next level with your investors and then once your investors put in some money you can take that loi and take it from just a document of intent to an actual document of attachment with these dates attached Mm -hmm. and that will generally require some level of financial compensation at that point the other option for actors is a pay or play agreement. And that is something that says you're going to pay the actors X amount, whether or not you actually raise the money to shoot and get it done. And right. they can be necessary and useful in the fact they are necessary, but they're kind of scary documents if you don't know you're getting that money. And <laughs> right. so because yeah, then you'll be financially responsible to pay that money. Mm-hmm. Your basic answer is then go to AFM if you want to like meet people, network, you know, make relationships, you know, maybe get an LOI for a project. But if you're going to AFM thinking that you're going to fund your your movie that doesn't have um that isn't made yet that just has a script, then maybe not so much. Is that roughly right or uh if it's your first ever film, correct. Right. If it's your third or fourth and you have and the other ones have made money, you've got a better shot at getting pre-sales at that point. In fact, if your director hasn't done at least two or three films that have made money, you're not getting a pre-sale. Mm. It just won't happen because uh, it's a... Even if Brad Pitt's in it? Even if... Well, if you get Brad Pitt for a million dollars, then maybe, but I don't think you'd be able to get that with a first-time director anyway. So, uh, no, for um, yeah. like two of my movies didn't make money, but on my third movie, I got Brad Pitt in it and That's, I'm doing my, my budget's a million dollars. I, th- there would be a lot of questions asked about that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm asking a lot of questions about my question. It makes no sense, but it's, it was fun to ask. It's funny. Yeah. I think that's basically that. Okay. Arik, you have any other questions about AFM? I, I don't know. Just to really push it. I mean, my, my, my main question is as like first time, like, filmmakers who like let's make, say you've made a bunch of short films you know you know how to make a movie whatever you're trying to make your first feature is there <laughs> we're any... talking about us right I'm now talking about ben, me. just to be okay be very I'm talking clear about both of us. this guy over here should i should i go to <laughs> afm and just meet people and spend the whatever it's gonna probably be like 1200 dollars or so in expenses to like 
you know, pay for the entry fee, go out there, buy a hotel, eat for the weekend, you know, whatever, buy drinks for people. Like, is that going to be worth my time or uh, is, is it, is I, am I better spent like, you know, just, you know, getting, getting my funding together through, through my personal network and, you know, raising my budget and making my first movie and then going to AFM in a few years once I have uh, some movies under my belt. Depends on what you're looking to raise. Getting a sales agent on an early stage can be very, very, very useful. Every actor has a international sales value that can vary by territory. So, and if you're not an active sales agent, there's almost no way to get that information. Having them on board can help you find the actors that will bring the most value to the project for your mm. for the money you invest in paying them. So that is a very good reason to have a relationship with a sales agent, but they won't give you that information without having a relationship with them. And if we are talking about the two of you, it may well be worth going and you should invite a lot of them on your podcast because a lot of them are looking for press as well. Mm. So that can actually be a really good way to open doors and start a relationship with these distributors. Not all of them will take you up on it, but some of them will. And the ones that do are probably the ones you need to talk to. Daisy Hamilton of uh, Tricoast, who uh, did a full interview in my book, is now a good friend. And the way we started talking was from that interview in my book. Yeah. Well, Timothy, maybe we go down to AFM uh, this year, uh, you know, do do a podcast from our hotel room in AFM <laughs> and, uh, you know, just uh, do the whole thing and see what happens. I don't know. could be fun. I mean, it's going to cost a little bit of money, but I don't know. It might be, might be worth it just to, you know, because I feel like I hear, I hear from everybody. Like some people are like, yeah, you definitely should go. Like you have to go. It doesn't matter, like, filmmaker, producer, agent, whatever, just go, go, go. Then I talk to, like, some people I know in L.A. who are more on the agent-producer side, and then they're like, no, don't go. If you're not an agent or a producer, <laughs> no, filmmakers not, not shouldn't really waste their time. Maybe you could go, but no, not really. <laughs> and so it's like, I don't know, I'm, I'm hearing different things, but I think what what I'm really hearing is... Um, it's just a big party basically with a lot of other things going on there too. So just go. This is what I'm hearing. Uh, it's not going to, it's not going to hurt. <laughs> it's not going to hurt. That is, that is definitely true. It is not going to hurt. However, okay. big thing you have to keep in mind is it's not entirely a party. Actually, apparently con is much more of a party. Than, really? uh, that's where I'm going. That's it. I'm spending that's, my money to go to con. That's like five grand. But <laughs> yeah. the bigger thing about it is going there to expand your network and build relationships is a good call. But if you are going as a director, you should be aware that everyone who you meet who's a producer is going to assume that you're looking to be hired. <laughs> right. If you cross-identify as producer directors or producer director writer or producer director writer cinematographer uh pa grip crafty whatever your moniker is if you want if you are at afm you should be primarily wearing your producer hat and if you have business cards at least in let's assume the two of you are going together under the same production company label one of you should identify solely as producer even if mm. you have other hats because uh cross, <laughs> everybody knows you wear multiple hats it's more of a etiquette thing, well for lack of a better way that won't happen for us because hey we're on different production company labels <laughs> or whatever if you want to call it that and then b yeah. we're both like 
yeah, primarily directors, but then, you know, producers secondarily, you know? So, um, I, I, I was just looking for my business card to see what it says on it. I think it says director, shooter, editor, maybe. I don't know. I got to get new business cards. <laughs> I don't it know. may be worth doing a limited run. Uh, business cards aren't that expensive. Yeah. Um, it may, I, and if you're, yeah, go ahead. I was just Sorry, are say, you I, saying I, I have lots of friends who have like four different business cards, you know, <laughs> that have different titles so they <laughs> right. can like whip them out at different, um, you know, different situations. But Ben, so yeah, the, you're saying that if you go as a director and producers are going to assume you want to be hired, that's you're saying that's a bad thing that they're not going to be all buddy buddy with you. Whereas if you're a producer, then you're just like you're on equal ground and then you can talk producer to producer. Uh, yes. Uh, Gotcha. The producers okay. aren't there to hire directors. The producers are there to liaise with sales agents. Okay. And the sales agents aren't really there to liaise with producers. They're there to sell to buyers. And the buyers just don't want to talk to anybody except sales agents. They just want to buy and get out. And they're generally gone by the fourth or fifth day, um, right. at least the last couple of years. At that point, the sales agents are more likely to talk to producers. But they want to talk about business. They don't really want to talk about art. They want to talk about the art that's required to make good business in this industry, mm-hmm. but they don't want to talk about how beautiful and uh, amazing your art piece is going to be, even though you're asking for $7 million <laughs> with no attachments and no experience. Right. Wait, I, you know me, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> that's You just described me to a T. That's funny. Okay, I know we have to move on. I have one last thing I want to talk about. All right, AFM. you and the one swear, last question. I swear. So, okay, if you have like, like, let, let's just say in this instance, like, you know, if, if you have some money already raised for your movie, let's say you have like, you know, $50,000 towards a $200,000 budget, just throwing that out there or something like that. Um, would that help you at all? Would that make your project more interesting for people to talk to you about? Or do you feel like, like, that doesn't really matter. It's all about like having the right actor attached, you know, or if you have a bigger budget project or something like that. $50,000 towards a $250,000 budget will serve you very well, actually. Okay. Oh, really? Particularly if that money is all equity, i.e. from investors. Equity is not the only way to raise money in this industry. There's lots of different ways. You can raise money via pre-sales, which we already covered. Uh, they don't give you any money up front, but they but if you go to the right distributor and you get a pre-sale, uh, you can then take that literally take that letter to the bank and get a loan against it. You can also get money from tax incentive at your budget range that wouldn't work in California, but it might work in Colorado or Ohio if I remember their incentives correctly. And then there are other ways to get money as well, including backed and unbacked debt. There are some companies that do loans against your equipment. Um which is risky, slightly less risky than putting it against your house. So there are lots of different ways to raise money. And uh, if you already have the equity, the other pieces become much more available to you. Well, that's what I'm working towards is basically uh, having, yeah, a fifth of my budget or something like that or whatever that is, a sixth of my budget kind of uh, raised bef- by by the fall, hopefully. I'm on my way there at, as we speak, which is cool, but it's, I mean, no, not there yet. But that's good because I, I just talked to another producer the other day who said that, like, that would mean nothing to them. That if I had $50,000 towards a, let's say, $250,000 budget, they were like, yeah, I don't care. That doesn't that that budget's not big enough for me to take seriously. And, you know, 50000 of it is not like even halfway there. So, you know, but it's good to hear that that's not what everyone thinks. <laughs> 
The other thing is, uh, after working a while in Silicon Valley on the uh, fundraising road, uh, having somebody else who's giving you money is a way to make an investor take you more seriously. And it right. makes it easier to raise the additional money. Nice. Uh, now, it has to actually be a legit investor investing a quote-unquote real amount. And by that, I mean $20,000 plus yeah. um, per, well. per byte. Not right. like, what, what is a real investor? How do you define <laughs> yeah, exactly. that? Um, well, the SEC <laughs> defines it as uh, somebody who's made uh, $200,000 a year for the previous two years and is likely to do the same this year, or somebody with uh, $1 million in liquid assets huh. or more. So um, that is the way the uh, Securities and Exchanges uh, Commission defines that, and that's generally a good benchmark. But what they mean, but essentially what a real investor is, is anybody who makes at least a portion and ideally a significant portion of their income off of their investment. I know we got to move on, but um, <laughs> what if it's just you're pulling in any money you can from from your network? Like, let's say I get $50,000 from friends, family, you know, other people that may or may not be investors, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, it's uh, better than nothing. And you can still do some of those uh, other sorts of money tricks, the debt tricks and all of those mm -hmm. um, with that. But it's not as interesting to an investor, although the fact that you have raised that much does show you have skin in the game. So right. it's not fifty thousand dollars is never nothing, but it is uh, depending on how it's raised. It can be more meaningful. Mm, uh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think we officially Can we move on yes, now. Let's move Ulrich? on, please. For the love of God. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Okay. I want to. I want to talk about investing in film from an investor's point of view. Like, are film films good investments? Can investors really make money on films? Like, what's the perception? They're not out there? good investments. Normally, normally they're very bad investments. That's kind of what I thought. Um, a lot of that is due to the way the industry is managed and the position the investor is in. Mm. From a very real perspective, unless the producer and director are foregoing their uh, stipends to create the project, the investor is the last to be paid. Mm. Everybody else has to make money, which sometimes put the, puts them as low as seventh, eighth, or even ninth in the pay waterfall once the film's completed. They right. end up putting taking a lot of risk and putting in a lot of money up front, but a lot of other people get paid before they do, even people who put in money after they them because they put it in the form of debt instead of in the form of equity. So it's a very bad position to be in. In the tech industry, it's the opposite. If you invest early in a company like Facebook, mm -hmm. that $500,000 you invested by the time Facebook exits or uh, goes public, you can make a billion and that's not an right. exaggeration. But in the film industry, it works completely the opposite. It's You don't get this appreciation from it. And it's hard to make the case to an investor that it's a good investment. Now, there can be things that can be done to make it less risky of an investment. Uh, part of that is staged investments. Part of that is uh, already having a director attached or a name attached or a reputable distributor attached. All of these can make them safer investments, but they're never going to make it a safe or ideally good investment because even if it's a relatively safe and, and you can expect to make a certain amount back, it's going to take a while to get that money back and it's uh, also not going to be the same risk re reward ratio of investing in uh, 
startup tech company or even stocks. So you need to start mm-hmm. looking at soft incentives to really incentivize investors to put uh, to take the risk on you. Um, What's a soft incentive? It's something that is not directly related to the re- to the financial return on investment. Um, these can be things like uh, if you already have tax incentives, one way to raise money is to sell the tax embed- incent- the tax credits to somebody who needs them. That would be a sort of soft incentive. So if nothing else, they've already just not paid as much tax that year. So they're already out ahead. And that's different than a deduction. It's actually a credit. And it is, I'm not an accountant, so I don't exactly want to say exactly why it's better. But it basically means that it counts towards their taxes instead of it, instead of it's deducted from their income. Again, not an accountant. But um, <laughs> right, the, I don't uh, even understand what you just yeah, said. Me neither. But that I'm sounds like, awesome. What the? Okay, <laughs> wow. Being a producer's rep gets you into a lot of murky financial areas that, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Times spoil your brain. But the. So, um, yeah. Who, who, if film is generally not a great investment, then who is investing in films and why? Um, people are investing in films because of the intrigue of investing in films. Um, there's some level of activism sometimes. That's perhaps not the right word, but there's, it can be a story they really want to hear sold or, or they hear you want to hear told. So and, and hopefully sold too, right? This is true. Yes, <laughs> both of sold. them are true. And it has to be sold to get them to write a check. Right. Let us not forget that. It can be some sort of subject matter that they really want to be more a part of the public consciousness. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can be a way to appeal to them. And I have some people who swear by the, hey, you've got a daughter, niece, nephew who wants to be an actor, right? Right. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, I know some people who do that, and that seems to work for them. Or like going after uh, tech entrepreneurs with the same sort of pitch. Like, you know, hey, this person from Craigslist, let's say, like, oh, yeah, will you invest $10,000 and you get a walk-on roll or whatever? And, you know, I guess that works, but... I don't know. I mean, yeah, basically what you're talking about, Ben, is like a patronage system. It's almost mm-hmm. like the Medici family in, in Italy. They're giving money out to artists to like create these beautiful pieces that will live on and hopefully their name will be attached yeah, to it. You're exactly right. They want to do something. It's not about making more money with it. Mm-hmm. It's about uh, leaving more of a lasting impact. And the legacy. If, exactly. And if they make mm. some additional money on top of that, then it uh, is a great bonus. But the difficulty in pitching a film investment is you have to pitch it well enough that there's a solid chance it'll at least make their money back. Yeah. And uh, make maybe a little bit. And then they get these. And then, the, but the real return on investment is these other things. And also in Silicon Valley, in San Francisco, there's a certain celebrity quality you should hear my air quotes in my voice Uh, (laughs) to being a filmmaker or being someone who's relatively affluent or at least who's doing interesting things with the money are you talking about megan ellison right now that sure yes uh that wasn't (laughs) specifically megan ellison but i'm also uh, but it is 
applicable to her. But right. there is a. Uh, but I think she's she's also making money from her movies, so I don't. Oh think my that's gosh, she's making true. a ton of money. Yeah. But the um, I was more talking about the uh, friend you go to a bar with, who right. now has the ability to say, "Oh yeah, no, I invested in this movie. Uh, you want to go? It's playing at the AMC later." And that's a <laughs> right. really yeah. good way to get a date. Um, but yeah, that's, so those are the sorts of ta- soft incentives that have to be the real return so that just as long as they don't make a loss, they'll still be pretty happy. Well, I want to yeah. go back to one of the things you said earlier, because you're saying in the investments, in typical film investments, the investors don't get paid off first. They get paid off later down in the, um, you know, whatever the, the, the waterfall that's not always true right like because at least for what i'm trying to put together i'm i'm t- telling investors that i'm gonna pay them first and then they'll even get like you know an extra 20 percent paid out to them before any of the filmmakers get get their money back so i don't know if that's like a standard thing that like really low budget independent uh filmmakers do or if that's just something that i stumbled upon randomly i don't know like can you speak to that like is that something that you see regularly with like you know smaller budget films uh ulrich are you taking a producer's stipend or fee for uh producing this movie um probably not (laughs) oh then in that case you are actually below them um but if you are taking a fee to get paid to produce this movie you would not be below them Right. Oh, because you're saying that I would get my fee before the any of the because I, I would take my fee from the the budget is what you're saying. Correct. Right. Um, right. Yeah. I think I have like you know maybe like two thousand dollars in there for the whole. I don't know. I but I think I in some budgets I've just taken that out completely just because it's like you know I need to spend the money on the movie and not on myself. Although I've heard a lot of people say that you should pay yourself when you're putting your budget together. You should. Um, because if you as the head don't get just crash from basically being homeless because you have no money to pay rent in San Francisco, um, <laughs> then it's a uh, it, it doesn't serve the project. So there is some understanding of that. But when I say that the investors are last place, I mean that if you look at a distribution waterfall, uh, that it generally the first thing on it is always uh, buyer's fees to be deducted from sale. These are things like wire transfer fees. And then it's either the distributor's uh, recoupable expenses or the distributor's commission. And then the next one is after that. Uh, Sometimes the commission comes out before the recoupable expenses. And yes, that does matter. But it's also something that's rampant throughout the industry. And a lot of people don't have the ability to change it. If there is any sort of uh, producer's rep or finder for the uh, film, then they will get paid before. And then once you get to the production company, if you took out debt at a later stage, that gets paid before the equity investors. And wow. generally, that would be unbacked debt first, also known as gap debt, and then backed debt. And then the investor starts to get paid. And then, and then after the investors get paid, is it that at that point that like the filmmakers get paid out after that? The filmmakers, any back end points would then be dispersed after the investor. The investor always gets their money first. So it's a long, so it's basically a long road to profitability um, on a movie through any distribution deal, basically. And and, and most movies, would you say that most movies never even get to that point? Like they don't ever get past the, the distributors 
um, you know, fees or whatever? I'd say that's very true, especially if you deal with the wrong distributor. Yeah. Other thing, to illustrate the severity of this problem, on paper, this little film you've probably never heard of called Star Wars Episode Six uh, <laughs> uh-huh. never broke even, according wow. to Fox. Wow. So, um, and that's a lot of that is rolling expenses, which are it, it, it. That is an example of studio accounting at its worst. But it's not the biggest. It's not the same for an independent film. If that happens, studio accounting still happens for independents. But it that the way that that happened for Star Wars wasn't a lack of revenue. It was rolling expenses and all of these kooky mm-hmm. accounting things. And the real reason they did it was to just not pay uh, Lucas. And then, but Lucas was fine because uh, Lucas was getting money out of the merchandising, which Fox gave up on their very first Star Wars in perpetuity. So they never had merchandising rights again. So now Disney owns those. Um, And, but the important thing about that is the actors who would be entitled to hefty residual checks if this wasn't going on, never get paid. They never Mm. get the residual checks because the film never broke even. So like the actor... The actor who pay, played uh, Darth Vader, not James Earl Jones, who voiced him, but the actor who actually did the physical acting for it, still has never received a residual check for that movie. Wow. Um, and that is bad. Yeah, that so, just seems unfair. Yeah. I want to go back to, you said at the beginning of the episode that one of the reasons you're in the Bay Area is because that this is where the money is. So if tech people aren't investing in films... Then who is investing in films? Who? What is the market that we should be tapping into as filmmakers? Tech people are investing in films. Uh, they're just not okay. investing in it in droves. They'd rather invest in actual in startups. startups. Yeah, and uh, yeah. I, I thoroughly. I think I alluded to this earlier. I think a lot of this is a culture and quote unquote language gap, mm-hmm. um, because we do business differently in Silicon Valley than people do it in L.A. Personally, uh, in many ways, I prefer the uh, Silicon Valley way of doing business, um, whereas uh, L.A. is more based on feeling and gut and also box office data. I mean, Hollywood pays attention to box office data, definitely, but (laughs) not to the same way we pay attention to data and metrics and plans and wanting to know what you're going to do to maximize your chance of success that we do here in Silicon Valley. And it's a communication gap that in Hollywood, I mean, both places do rely a lot on who you know and the relationships you have. But in Silicon Valley, we have a, we place more of an emphasis on your plan and how you're going to finance it and what's going to be the best way to get the investor the best chance of return. Right. And in Hollywood, that's not necessarily the same. Which is funny because it kind of sounds like for somebody like me, who's trying to pitch this, my movie with like, Oh, this movie's so cool. Like really like take it, like you're, you're taking a chance on me and you're believing in my vision. Like we're going to make something that doesn't exist. It's going to be really amazing. It's going to have a big impact on audiences, blah, 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 all that stuff. Like that would probably play better in LA. It sounds like than it does in Silicon Valley, which in Silicon Valley, it's like, what, what are your hard numbers? Like, how are you going to recruit this investment? Blah, blah, blah. And all that stuff. Like, I'm just like, I don't know. Um, yeah, maybe it's going to make money. Like, I think it's going to at least get a return on its, on the invest or not a return or at least, uh, make the money back. But 
It might take five years. You know, it's going to be a runaway um, hit. It's going to play at Sundance, and Magnet Films is going to pick that. it up. It's gonna... <laughs> exactly. Never say that. Yeah, <laughs> right. But I love, why not? I love, it. I love it, Ben. Sun- I love you yelling Sun- from. Yeah. <laughs> Don't ever. Sundance say those is things. come on, Ben. All you do, you submit your film to Sundance and you can get in. It's that easy, right? Yes, one percent get in somewhere in there. I it it drives me kind of bananas when people say, "Oh, the plan is to get into Sundance." Oh, good luck with that. Um, yeah, I know. But, it's insane, right? Yeah. Um, but no, it to address your point, Ulrich. Uh, it is a. In a way, it is uh, more sort of L.A. style of pitching. However, uh, the problem with L.A. is getting in the room and getting to pitch to the right people. And that requires a lot of networking and social climbing. Whereas there are there is networking and social climbing here in Silicon Valley. But if you get a really good idea um, and a really good model you can facilitate that rise much faster. Of course, the same thing could kind of be said about scripts, but not every producer is honest. Um, And sometimes things do happen, and the writer's uh, ability to protect their IP is not always as good as a a studio's ability to protect them against uh, suits infringing on the IP. Mm. So uh, that's a... So I'm not saying never send your script anywhere because if you do that, it'll never get made. But I am saying be careful how you do it. Make sure you have your copyright set and make sure you're registered with both the Copyright Office of the U.S. government as well as the uh, WGA because both of them will help you significantly. And they help you in different ways. So you do need to do both. Well, Um, check and check. (laughs) (laughs) so i wanted to kind of ask one of these other questions that are on our list so we talked about you know are films good investments can you make money on them but like knowing your answer to that when you advise investors what kind of movies are you telling them to invest in genre films with a good package are the safest bet when i say genre films i don't mean horror anymore horror is actually kind of going down the tubes and not slowly um, I don't think horror is going to be able to be, it was a mainstay to make money, but the way it made money before was an impulse buys from DVDs and DV, the DVD market is all but dried up. So, uh, you're not really going to be able to get much out of that anymore. Uh, next bet is thriller, um, which is okay. And if it's a good movie, you can make money in a thriller. Thrillers are in enough to capture attention right now, but not the easiest of sells. Action is always easy to sell, particularly if it's well-made with an actor. And it can't just be... And there are people who specialize in martial arts action, um, which can be cheaper to shoot if it's well done than uh, like a car explodey action. But (laughs) really the thing everybody's looking for right now that's the safest bet is family films. Yeah. Um, Ulrich yeah. yeah. <laughs> is like, uh, we were hoping you were going to say science fiction. Science fiction. Um, <laughs> so science fiction, so science fiction is kind of a subclassification. Um, it's more of a setting than a genre itself. Um, so I believe yours is a science fiction thriller. Yeah, sci-fi right? thriller, yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, so I do know that sci- that people are looking for sci-fi settings things right now as well. At least that was before con. It could be completely different. They could be looking for 
God, if they were looking for dramas, I would laugh really hard. But um, <laughs> that's not generally the case. Um, well, but- let's talk about family films. I have a great Christmas dog movie that's ready to go. Wait, are you serious? That's, that's, yeah, like so. That's that's a good investment, right? Um, <laughs> it depends. Do you have connections to animal wranglers and? Uh, is it a talking dog or just an actor? Yeah. Okay. Have you ever seen my movie Man's Best Friend? I have it's not. About, it's about a man who really loves his dog. Okay. Yeah. But I guess that's not really a family <laughs> really film, Really underline, it? really. Um, anyways. <laughs> Everyone should watch that movie if they haven't. It's really fun. <laughs> okay. I have a feeling. And, and then to answer Timothy's question, I'm just going to speak as if I'm already signed on as the producer for this movie because I believe that mm-hmm. might happen. But mm-hmm. if it did, yes, we do have connections to animal wranglers. So, yeah. you know. Okay. Uh, is it a talking dog piece or just a uh, regular dog piece? No, regular dog piece. Yeah. So there's, there's a market for that. Um, the other place where there's a market for is if you're looking for large niches. Um, like faith-based films are really easy to sell Ugh. and really easy to make a profit mm. on. I'm not going to comment on that, but I don't think we think dissimilarly. No um, one said anything. Easy, yeah. No one said anything. Faith-based is great. Everyone loves that. Faith-based yeah. is wonderful. Yes, it's wonderful. It's a, it's a very <laughs> With, strong key demographic. But, like everything know, we're talking about right now is making me think that a dog's purpose must have been like a huge runaway, like box office success. It's like faith-based dog movie. Um, so huge runaway box office <laughs> success is a relative term. It's more about right. the return <laughs> on investment. And if you start screening to a thousand churches that don't uh, actually get their box office numbers tracked, but you're making five grand per screening, you're kind of doing okay. And there's a shocking amount of churches in the U.S. if you look at the numbers. <laughs> um, but yeah. the, uh, so, But it's a different distribution model. And uh, the other one that uh, is also very profitable if you do it well and uh, know what sort of themes you're going on and make an authentic movie is uh, LGBT address pieces. And when I say LGBT, unfortunately for most uh, distributors, when they say LGBT, they mean gay. They mean, uh, yes. Less T, more G. Yes, and uh, gay male, generally. What, That's just what, if, what they're looking for. What if you have like a lesbian couple as your lead characters in your movie? Does that qualify as LGBT, or is that just not, doesn't really qualify? It does in a way, but not in the same uh, sort of branding way. I should stress here that I do not make the rules. I am just sharing what I've heard from some of the friends who work LGBT distribution. Yeah. But no, it, generally for media and distribution lgbt means gay male however um lesbian movies do have the pleasant benefit that if they are well made they will appeal to both the lesbian demographic and even if they're not well made they will appeal to straight straight males oh Uh, right (laughs) of course (laughs) film distribution is a funny game man um but the uh, so yeah, that's... yeah. The question that came up while you're talking about all these different genres and and how 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 well they sell is where are people consuming movies? Like why why are these genres that we're picking out the ones that are doing well? The general public is consuming movies through online platforms more and more and more and more. Mm. 
it takes a decent amount to be able to sell a movie right now. Like the most profitable VOD right as of right now, we'll check again in a year or two, uh, is cable VOD. These would be things like Comcast in demand uh, or whatever DirecTV and AT&T's things are. And those are the ones, and those are things that you cannot get to yourself as a filmmaker. You have to go through a distributor. Ah. Um, And then those are for transactional VOD. Those are generally the big sellers. Um, And so for something like a family film, is it because, you know, a family is more likely to go scroll through what's on demand and pick something random that they haven't heard of than some other genres? Correct. It helps a lot if it's animated um, because it, the animated films just sell really easily because people buy them or watch them. And the other thing on this is uh, we're competing for people's time as much as their money. Um, so family film families have a lot of time because their kids just want to watch movies a lot of. Right. So there's a lot of content that you can sell. The other side of that is. Uh, uh, so a lot of people are watching films through Netflix, Amazon, HBO Now, Slash Go, um, any of Stars' platforms, or any of those subscription uh, platforms. Yeah, that's, they, what, I, that's they, what I do. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I do that too. I also watch a surprising amount of YouTube. But um, mm. the uh, mainly tutorial and educational videos, which are surprising, which some educational videos on history on YouTube are better than the history channels ones. And that's still weird to me, but, um, (laughs) the, uh, so the big thing there is, uh, those platforms normally pay an amount to just license the content for one to two years, generally closer to two these days. And um, then they'll put it up on their platforms and on their channel. And that's one of the best ways to get a good sale in the U.S. They pay on time and they pay a not small amount, although it's probably not as big as you think it is. So mm. how is Netflix compared to like stars and HBO? Is it comparable or less? Less. They pay less. OK. Um, unless you're a major film company. Um, selling a major film they pay much 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 less and even then often they pay much 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 less HBO pays the most but but those guys um, that's another like sort of relationship you can't really get into unless you have a distributor or like some sort of rep helping you out right correct Uh, they will not deal with you they will not deal with filmmakers you would need a uh, sales agent or producers rep and most producers reps are not direct with uh Showtime, Stars, HBO, Netflix, any of those. I right. am direct with some of those platforms, but yeah, that's uncommon. So now, uh, wait for a million emails from our listeners saying, "Hey, can you get my movie to Stars? Can you get my movie to <laughs> HBO?" Because, because seriously, like I think a lot of the listeners that we have, like you know, we we haven't made features, but a lot of our listeners have made features. So, you know, and, and they're all trying to figure out their distribution. Like, we get emails about that all the time. So, yeah, I guess Ben is the right person to talk to here um, if he's willing to listen. <laughs> Since that came up, there is a submissions tab on my website. Oh, cool. uh, and it goes to a form that only I have access to. 
Um, so I do ask for Vimeo screeners and things in there. It is handled through Google. It's surprisingly secure. So if you send me the link there, it does get into a form that works with my other forms, which means that uh, I can keep my operation lean and my fees lower than normal because I don't have to support an infrastructure below me. I'm pretty much a one-man shop. I, I do take submissions and I do review projects in about uh generally i review them as quickly as i can but i am busy and if you don't hear anything from a, in me in a couple of weeks email me and i'll move it up my queue but the uh so i do watch at least 20 minutes of any film that gets submitted to me um, oh, nice i have a 20 minute rule that says that if i don't <laughs> get that if i know by 20 minutes that i that i'm not hooked or i just know it's not going to work um i'll stop watching it yeah. um well that's a lot of time that's more than most people get right like you, you, <laughs> i have you, a five minute rule yeah five <laughs> minutes or like two minutes sometimes but like you give, yeah. you give people everybody 20 minutes like that's really generous of you man i appreciate that <laughs> i've been surprised once or twice before um but nice. the uh and I will also say, since this is public, uh, I generally watch it with a friend of mine who's in audio and then a another a, another friend or two who is not working in film to act as a balance because I can sometimes be jaded and I uh, <laughs> Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, you're really you're yeah. really providing super value for people. That's amazing. Yeah. That's I, I think do you yeah, guys do like more than what most mystery people. science 3000 version of movie watching. You guys make not, fun of it as you're watching it. <laughs> hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I'm not going to comment That's what on I that. would do. Um, but yeah, I would totally do that. But um, the, and then if the comments stop, if they die out, if you stop making fun of it, then you're like, okay, this is actually pretty good. That's a podcast <laughs> in its own right. Just like you know, watching screeners for movies, yeah. and it's like, does it break the the twenty minute rule, or can you get past the first twenty minutes, and then you know, like airing your uh, your your commentary on the first twenty. That's like a mini mystery fun. science. We should theater. do that. That's so funny. <laughs> um. Getting, getting the clearance from the filmmakers might be a little difficult, though. That would be uh, very difficult. But yeah, um, no, I think it's a it is something that I don't want to have to necessarily watch it several times. So I'd rather get a couple of friends together right. who don't mind watching it anyway. They actually kind of like it. So it's a that's cool. Yeah. Um, but the so that's what that's my process on that. And I will generally take a look um, if you have family movies. I definitely want to see them because I've got a lot of people looking for them. So okay. the, um, and yeah. and for the record, I just looked up a dog's purpose uh, budget was twenty two million, and it made a hundred and ninety two million at the box office. Wow. Mm-hmm. Boom! 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 Um, um, so so okay. I have one. I have one more thing I want to. I want to get to. Kind of running out of time here. But but so you kind of you kind of outline the best films are the best kind of investments, like you know family films. Um, you know you know. You said thrillers. Thrillers. Is that the other one? What was the other genre that you said? You said was good. Was good. Um, thrillers, action. Um, and family and family. Uh, comedy is very very tricky and requires uh name talent. Uh, in generally no name talent known for comedy drama needs really high level cast um Mm. and is very tricky internationally so um but uh there was an article a few years ago or maybe just a year ago um about the number about the safest film to break out 
being uh, dramas, and I f- and I know one of the authors of that, but uh, the I want to stress that according to their study, only four films broke out a year in their study wow. period. <laughs> so yeah, it's harder to break out than it is to get into Sundance. Yes, this is true. Um, and also <laughs> a lot of those films did make it into Sundance and that's part of how they right. broke out. Mm. But the, um, so I should stress that that is that even though it says dramas are the most likely to break out, your film is not likely to break out. Right. Mm. So, what about films like feature films in the twenty five thousand to a hundred thousand dollar budget range? Like, are those investments that you think are good, or is that like even worth an investor's time? Like, are, yeah, yes, actually, it depends if they're well made by filmmakers who can actually pull it off. So, there's a range in which films are not profitable generally, and as in that range is changing fairly regularly given the industry is in a bit of upheaval and platforms are changing and monetization paths are changing but uh generally right now if the film needs to be made for under two hundred thousand or over one million to have any shot at profitability wow um that range in between it costs too much to make from to make back from uh, whatever po- uh, paths you can cobble together, like whether it be uh, films being made for, uh, yeah, so it, whether it be VOD platforms and transactional VOD sales and all of those, if it's under 200,000, it's easier to actually recoup the investment from those and good marketing alone. Um, whereas if it's over that, it starts to get very tricky and you need to start to have something like a theatrical run to make it profitable. And that adds costs drastically and quickly. And you start to need to have somewhat high level distributors to do it. And sometimes as much as 200 grand in marketing just to get the finance, to get the, uh, just to get it on the platforms in the day and date release, a lot of times the theaters and the platforms want to have a not small amount of money uh, behind it in order to uh, actually uh, put it on the platform in the same days as theater categories, which is generally yeah. the place you want to be. So it's good news for us because we're both focused on films under 200,000. But I'm curious about the the one million dollar films. So, like, when you get to that point, are you is one million dollars assuming that there's a good chunk of that budget that's dedicated towards marketing? Uh, generally, the budgets we talk about here uh, do not account for marketing at all. Uh, okay. okay, so what what happens at one million dollars that all of a sudden it makes it a better investment? Uh, recognizable name talent and higher levels of it. Gotcha. So you need to also that money has to pay for better talent. Correct. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cool. Interesting. Well, yeah. I mean, it's it's really funny because I, I was talking to somebody, um, like a consultant at an at an event, actually one of your events, uh, Ben, and they were saying like a year ago they would have said first time feature two hundred fifty thousand dollars, great idea, and now she was like under a hundred thousand or a hundred thousand for a first time <laughs> feature, and I was like, oh, wow. yeah, okay. <laughs> well, I'll uh, do my best there. You know, it's like a moving target all the time. Yeah. And right now, my my Christmas dog movie is hot, but in a year from now, it's may, may not be. Right when you actually get the money together and can actually make it, you know. 
Christmas dog movie, family Christmas dog movie will still be hot then. (laughs) Keep my number. Um, my fan it's actually it's just a Christmas dog movie I lied about the family part oh. because the guy sleeps with his dog so it's not really a family thing but I mean you know, maybe I'll rewrite it wait that's the feature too gosh <laughs> oh my god you didn't tell me that was part of it I'm out no I'm just kidding um, so I have one last question that I want to ask Ulrich do you have anything no, else I'm good at this point okay I just <laughs> My, my main frustration with film investing is really just finding investors. And I just feel like it's such an old fashioned way that we go about it now. It's like, it's, it's all about the network that you have in relationships. Is there any, is there any future where we'll be able to, that filmmakers will be able to find people that want to invest in films, like in a much easier way, more like a Kickstarter type platform or is that just unrealistic to think that that'll ever happen i don't think it'll ever get to the point where it's as ubiquitous as kickstarter i think slated is the closest possible thing we have right now and i don't know how much closer we can get to that because once you start to get too many filmmakers in a room uh the investors stop showing up so uh it's just a it's a question of the incentives to keep the investors there now I'm trying to do something that should make it easier, although I don't think it will affect wide-scale change on its own. Um, but it can make the it can hopefully start a seed that encourages others to do similar things. And uh, I think the event uh, Ulrich was alluding to was something we're currently calling uh, cultural capital investments, and it is essentially an angel group. Uh, that meet that gathers angels uh, to get together and um, listen to pitches from cultural entrepreneurs, be they filmmakers, uh, wine entrepreneurs, um, tech companies supporting the arts and culture or restaurants or uh, potentially even a game studio or two. Um, so those are we had the first event a couple weeks ago, and uh, we had at final count about eighteen investors in the room. Um, some of them brought guests. I believe Ulrich was there as a guest. Yes. Um, and <laughs> Not as an investor. The, <laughs> but the uh, every investor is allowed to bring one guest, and that's uh, how Ulrich ended up there. Uh, but the stuck <laughs> uh, in the door. <laughs> But the uh, and it was a really great event. Um, I haven't heard of anything closing out of it yet, but it is still uh, just over two weeks after it, and that would be pretty quick to close something like this. Yeah, yeah right. But the um, this event is not necessarily meant to be a place where you get a check immediately. It's meant to open up conversations and relationships, and it yeah. is a. It's almost like investor speed dating, um, but not. Yeah, is it like, like as you're describing it, I almost imagine like an eyes wide shut scenario. It's not like that, right? No, it's not like that. (laughs) Um, uh, So, yeah, no, it's it's more like a hyper specialized Silicon Valley pitch panel, Um, and the room we had there, including pitchers. Um, and there were about there were a decent number of pitchers there, including Edward James Olmos. Um, 
it was about 40% investors. Um, and uh, in terms of investors to people, to people, not projects pitching, we had about 1.3. And in terms of investors to projects pitching, it was three to one investors to uh, projects, which is, I think, pretty good for a first showing. Oh, so yeah, yeah. Uh, sounds yeah. great. Um, so that's so that's one thing that I am doing and thus know about uh, to try to make it easier to find investors. But there's a app, we haven't decided on the public application process for it yet. There will be one. I just need to talk with my team about uh, my team at Producer Foundry and uh, CCI to um, figure out uh, what the best application process is. Um, but yeah. so yeah, that is it just mm -hmm. seems like it'd be great. You know, you're talking about how some investors here are in it for the more the art, the legacy. And if there's a filmmaker that's in Boston and there's an investor in San Francisco and they're meant to be together because the investor in San Francisco really wants to make a gay movie uh, that takes place at Christmas with, um, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm making something up off the top of my head that sucks. But anyways, what if like that guy in Boston has the right movie and how, and if there's just like some pl platform where they could say like, I'm looking for this kind of movie and this guy's like, I have this kind of movie and it puts them together. Just seems like that makes so much sense. It does. Um, the problem is keeping it populated with investors. The thing that's closest to what you're talking about right now, and I don't see much of a need for much else to to exist in the market right now, uh, is Slated. And that is uh, basically AngelList for film. I was listening to one of your earlier podcasts, and I think it came up on there. So I think you two are familiar with it. Yeah. But well, that's how we, we met. Yeah, Auric and I met over Slated. Oh, okay. Um, so yeah, it's a, I have heard, I've actually referred a couple investors to Slated. They are there. They do exist. Um, but it's hard to actually approach them because when they open up their approaches, they get 50 emails a day. And <laughs> right. Yeah. So that's going to be the problem with any sort of similar thing. Yeah. Yeah. So. That makes sense. Yeah. All right. Well, it's disappointing, but it is the state of the world we live in. So we just have to figure it out, Timothy. We gotta just, just gotta get, figure it out. Get out into the world. I think I'm trying to go to more events. That's like a new thing that I'm trying to do. It's just like get out to the film events in the Bay Area more and meet more people, talk to people. You know, I don't know. Just try to try to make something happen. Um, and also just talk to the people that I know personally and ask them if they want to invest in, in my movie, you know? And that's something that I think is really hard to do sometimes to go to your personal friends, family, whatever. And, and, you know, ask them like, Hey, will you, do you have any money you can invest or whatever? But that's something I'm trying to do. And, you know, I mean that, I think for me, that's the way it's going to have to be, you know, like that's how I'm going to get my money. It's just, yeah, I think I that's know. just the way it has to be for most filmmakers. And yeah, I think that's where you start. And then if that doesn't work out, then you find another path. But I think that's a good, good place to start is your network. 
and expand your network when you can mm-hmm. too. Yeah. That's, but it's I think it's the expanding your network thing is just it's like a it's a time commitment. You don't just go to like AFM one year and then you walk away and you have all these new friends. It's like you have to go year after year after year and same thing with networking events in whatever area you live. Like you don't just show up once. You have to just keep going and and it takes time to build relationships just like any friendship you have in your life. And you know that's that's a hard commitment for a lot of people to make. I think I'd say that's true. Um, that's why I have a podcast. It's like my <laughs> fake version of networking. Uh, that's funny. <laughs> Our fake networking. I mean, yeah, this is fake networking. I now know. I know Ben, and Ben and I are friends, right, Ben? Indeed, we are friends. Yeah. See, uh, it's it's amazing. I forced him to talk to me for one hour, and now we're friends. That's hilarious. <laughs> um, well, I think we're gonna wrap it up soon. Ben, you have any final words that you want to uh, say before we sign off here? No, I think I'm good. Just thank you guys for having me on. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, like we, we, you should take some time right now and plug all your different venues, your oh, websites, right, your seminars, that. your books, like whatever you got. Just like tell everybody where they can find you and what what's the most interesting thing probably for our our listeners at this time for them to get. Okay. Then yeah, uh, the I'm at the Gorilla Rep on Twitter. Uh, that's one of the best places to find me. I do generally respond to tweets and things. Um, you can also find me at my personal website, which is thegorillarep.com, and that is gorilla as in gorilla filmmaking, not the uh, <laughs> not, not the animal, not, not the yes. Um, and that has two R's and two L's in it. Uh, and if you want to submit something, it's thegorillarep.com/slash/submit. And if you are not done with your project yet, you really should check out uh, Production Next, which is at www.productionnext.com. We are currently running a closed beta that is free, but you do have to apply and be approved. If you uh, mention you heard about this in the Making Movies is Hard podcast, uh, you may well be bumped up a little bit in that queue um (laughs) but the uh so yeah that is uh that's basically it and uh you feel good about that oh we'll we'll include links to all that stuff on in the show notes so people can go to making and yeah everything yeah yeah i was trying not to get too shilly but the uh thank you we appreciate that um (laughs) but yeah no the books i do like selling books it's nice but uh, oh, and uh, you can also get some free film market resources on my site uh, just by going to www.thegorillarep.com/resources. There's a things like a follow-up template, a uh, couple of template letters you can send out to distributors to set meetings in advance, and a uh, some other money-saving links uh, that will help you make your trip more affordable. Nice. I love resources. Awesome. Cool. Well, all this stuff will be included in the show notes. So if you guys didn't write all that stuff down, go to makingmoviesishard.com and you'll you'll find links to all of Ben's stuff. Thanks so much, Ben, for coming on. This was an awesome conversation. It was fun. Yeah. Very very different than a lot of our other episodes, which I think is going to make it special. And yeah. uh, 
Yeah, well, appreciate your honesty and your openness too, man. Yeah, it's really definitely. Because awesome. usually you don't get that when you're talking film business or film investment. Usually it's a lot of vague terms and, you know, <laughs> mysterious answers. But I think you're very clear, which I like. Very clear. Cool. Well, thank again, thank you guys for having me. Yeah. Awesome. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. Um, like I said before, check out our website, makingmoviesishard.com. You'll find links to all the stuff that we talked about in this episode. And um, I just updated the website with awesome new handy dandy table of contents for all the episodes for the past two years, which is great. So check it out. Um, if you want to get in contact with us, send us an email to podcast at makingmoviesishard.com. Find us on Twitter and Facebook with the handle at MMIH Podcast. And if you like the show, please tell a friend, help us get the word out. You can leave a review on iTunes. Those are always great too. Thanks again, guys. And we'll talk to everyone next week. Awesome. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, Timothy. No problem. Thank you guys. Bye-bye.